And now, Virgin Most Powerful Radio is pleased to present Hands-On Apologetics with renowned Catholic author and apologist, Gary Machuda. And welcome, everybody, to Hands-On Apologetics. You have entered into Virtual Most Powerful's Apologetics Dojo. It's great to be with you today. Beginning a new broadcast week here from the Midwest Command Center. And we got a fantastic show in store for us to kick off the week. We want to start strong and finish strong. That's what you want to do. Whenever you're uh, working out, studying, do whatever, you know, make every moment count. And uh, indeed, we're going to do that. Very same thing here on the show. We're going to have a good friend, Kenny Burchard, on. And Kenny, as you know, is a convert to the Catholic faith. And uh, we're going to talk about, well, I'll just give you the phrase. What do you mean Roman Catholic? Um, that seems kind of strange, isn't Catholic universal and Roman in particular? Well, hey, well, we're going to. Uh, talk about that and look at it from different angles with our good friend Kenny Burchard. Of course, that's coming up on the other side of the break. On this side of the break, we're going to do what we always do, which is our Finding the Fallacy. helps sharpen our critical thinking skills. Today's Finding the Fallacy is the Nirvana Fallacy. Yep, you, you heard correctly. Nirvana Fallacy. Interesting name for a fallacy. And also, we're going to make uh, a meeting in fact, we're going to find an early church father, talk a little bit about them. Today's early church father is an apostolic father, and it's a very unique one at that. It's the letter to Diognetus. So let's talk about the letter to Diognetus, the Nirvana Felsi, and then all good things like that. Uh, but before we do that, I want to welcome all of you to the show. So welcome aboard, all of you listening on radio around the country and of course you live stream peeps how you doing and i want to welcome all of you around the world and in the future who will listen to this program via podcast so howdy welcome aboard and by the way if you want to check out this program maybe uh, you want to hear what kenny has to say on the topic but maybe you're called into a meeting or the baby's crying or who knows what um don't worry you can check out the whole program it's going to be archived on the uh, Flamethrower website, virginmostpowerfulradio.org. And while you're there, check out the new conferences coming up, uh, some really big ones coming up indeed. And all you have to do is just scroll down, click on Hands on Apologetics, and boom, you got the programs right there. And they get uploaded very quickly, too. So um, don't worry. Um, you could check it out, and you could do all sorts of things. You could download programs. You could share them. Tell your friends about them. And that way you can listen to it at your convenience. In fact, you can listen a bunch of times if you're taking notes. So uh, that's a great resource tool. Not only access the program, but also to do evangelism. Because all it just takes is a click of a button. And you can get some really good information into the hands of people that would like to hear it. Or is it the ears of people that would like to hear it? Maybe that's probably more accurate for uh, a podcast uh, program. Also... The official Dojo Mailbox, lest I forget. If you'd like to get a hold of me, the Sensei, I'd love to hear from you. Just shoot me an email at questions at handsonapologetics.com. 
And that goes directly to me. And I appreciate your emails and your support as well. So thank you, folks. And uh, thank you for all the kind words and nice emails that have been sent and and all that good stuff. I'm glad that I'm able to help. Also, um, well, it's Monday. Why not? We'll give a plug to my website. Well, actually, it's a YouTube channel on YouTube where we discuss the Old Testament canon, which is the Apocrypha Apocalypse. Uh, the little channel that could. I think we're at, what is it, 4.01K subscribers or something like that, maybe. Uh, something like that. I, I don't know. It's over 4,000, believe it or not. And that's largely due to you. So thank you so much for subscribing. And, you know, it's such an important topic, the Old Testament canon, because you get issues of authority. You get issues of history. You get issues of the Reformer's changing the Bible to fit their preconceived theological positions. And so uh, there's a lot there and a lot that most people, both Protestant and Catholic, don't know about. So that's why we do the channel along with uh, William Albrecht and David Zavaris. And so check it out, folks, uh, YouTube. Uh, just type in Gary Machuda or Apocrypha Apocalypse. If you haven't subscribed, Please do if you enjoy the programs and like and tell friends, leave comments, do all that stuff. <coughs> that helps with the algorithm. And uh, and by the way, the same thing's true with this show as well. Because the algorithms out there run the show and uh, they send thumbnails to people. And a great way to do evangelism is just support the media that you like and, and affect the algorithm so that... It, you know, people who aren't aware of the information can get a hold of it. <coughs> Excuse me. So, uh, without further ado, why don't we go to the Finding the Fallacy for today. This is the Nirvana Fallacy. Nirvana Fallacy is an informal fallacy of comparing actual things with unrealistic, idealized alternatives. Yeah, so that's actually a very fitting title for this fallacy. It can also refer to the tendency to assume that there is a perfect solution to a particular problem, a closely related concept of the perfect solution fallacy. In other words, it's a fallacy that occurs when one tries to reject a solution to a problem out of the belief that there is a perfect solution. And so the solution is not perfect, therefore we can reject it. Um, obviously fallacious. Or comparing uh, actual things to unrealistic idealized alternatives uh, forgetting, of course, that they're unrealistic, idealized, and they're not really alternatives because they, they exist only in the imagination. And that's the power of the Nirvana fallacy. This is also um, a tool used in propaganda as well because people love mythological stories about how you know the great heights we can achieve through ingenuity or, or signing on to a particular product or a particular political position. And everything will be solved. And if you don't believe this fallacy is alive and well, just wait till the next election season. You'll, you'll hear it. Um, and, of course, it is a fallacy. And, and it's a propaganda technique, which is very strong, again, because, uh, let's face it, I mean, it's it, it, if things are bad, uh, you can paint a nice, uh, perfect society and uh, all you have to do is jump on board to make it happen. So that's our finding the fallacy for today, the Nirvana fallacy. Okay, now let's meet our early church father today who is not actually a father. 
In fact, we know practically nothing about this document other than it's considered an apostolic father by default. It is the letter to Diognetus. It's an anonymous letter and an apologetic work in the form of a letter to a high dignitary among the pagans, one Diognetus. Now, uh, while it may have been a letter addressed to a particular person, uh, petrologists generally believe that Diognetus may be a pseudonym instead of an actual person. That's, so we don't know who the recipient is. We don't even know if it's a pseudonym. Um, and as far as the author, we don't know what the author is. So we don't know who the author is. We don't know who the addressee is. All we have is the document. And even the date of the composition of the document has been bandied about. The best estimates are sometime between either AD 125 and AD 200. So it is a very early document. And, uh, yeah, so not much you can say in terms of bio. But uh, I'll give you a snippet of a, a famous portion of it. I, I think it's kind of cool because he's basically describing the difference between Christians and pagans. And uh, in some ways, it's pretty fitting today. The difference between Christians and the rest of men is neither country nor in language nor in custom. And he continues, they dwell in their own fatherlands, but as temporary inhabitants. They take part in all things as citizens while enduring the hardship of foreigners. Every foreign place is their fatherland, and every fatherland is to them a foreign place. Like all others, they marry and beget children, but they do not expose their offspring. Their board is set for all, but not their bed. Their lot is cast in the flesh, but they do not live for the flesh. They have passed their time on earth, but their citizenship is in heaven. They obey the established laws, and in their private lives they surpass the laws. They love all men. And by all they are persecuted. They are unknown and they are condemned. They are put to death and they gain life. They are poor but make many rich. They are destitute but, in, but have an abundance of everything. They are dishonored and in their dishonor they are made glorious. They are defamed but they are vindicated. They are reviled. But they, and they bless. They are insulted and they pay homage. When they do good, they are punished as evildoers. And when they are punished, they rejoice as if brought to life. They have made war upon as foreigners by the Jews and are persecuted by the Greeks. And yet, those who hate them are at a loss to state the cause of their hostility. So there's a little snippet from today's Meet the Early Church Father, the letter of Diognetus. And yeah, that's a, it's a really interesting last line. You know, they, they're, at a, we're, they're persecuted by all, but they're at a loss to state the cause of their hostility. And this is something which is a grave sin in Judaism, right? Being hated without cause. And yet, man, that brings truth throughout church history. And that's our early church father for today, Letter Diognetus. Coming up next on the other side of the break, we're going to be chatting with our good friend, Kenny Burchard, about what does it mean to be Roman Catholic. Stay tuned.
Now, back to Hands-On Apologetics with Gary Machuda. Here's Gary. And welcome back, everybody, at Hands-On Apologetics. And what do we mean when we call ourselves Roman Catholic? Why Roman Catholic? Is that an oxymoron? Well, help us uh, discuss this and look at it from various angles. We have our good friend, Kenny Bruchard, with us, as you know. Kenny himself is a convert uh, to the Catholic faith. He served as a vocational uh, pastor in several Protestant churches, including being a senior and founding pastor for a Protestant Pentecostal church in Central California. Uh, he has an MA in New Testament, and he's currently working for the Coming Home Network. You could check out the great stuff they do there at chnetwork.org. And especially when you're when there, you want to check out his appearances on the journey with Matt, Ken, and Kenny. And Kenny, welcome back to Hands-On Apologetics. Gary, thank you. Thank you so much. Good to see you, sir. Been a while. Yeah, it's been a little while. Um, but I have to say, uh, you know, I've been enjoying, as always, your content on the Coming Home Network. And, uh, you know, doing great, great work for the Lord. Thank you. Yeah, I I, uh, I feel privileged and humbled that I get to um, do the program, you know, on the journey with Matt and Ken. Uh, they did a hundred episodes of that program before I <clears throat> before I joined them, and and you know that program really helped me, you know, in my own understanding of how to think like a Catholic, having come <laughs> from a Protestant background, and. Um, so I've really en enjoyed that, you know, the sort of the um, the focus of that that show on the journey is uh, we, we see ourselves as bilingual, you know, mm -hmm. um, we we're, we're Protestants, uh, but we but we but we I mean, we're Catholics, but we speak Protestant because yeah, we right. were Protestants for so many years. Yeah, and that makes <laughs> such a big difference, too, you know, because the terms mean different. Um, oh, sometimes man. emphases are different. It really is almost like learning another language. It is. I, I was actually talking to Matt this morning. We He and I have a meeting every Monday morning together where we talk about, you know, where we collaborate. And he said, hey, I'm sorry, in our last episode, I corrected the way that you said Saint so-and-so. You know, in the episode, we don't say it that way. We say it this way. And I said, I, I haven't, I haven't lost. My <laughs> I still have my accent. You know, so it's, uh, you can tell. You know, I'm coming. But and, and that's actually why I chose or asked if we could talk about this subject today, uh, because it really is one of those markers of uh, terminological difference in understanding. You know, how to um, how to think about things in certain ways yeah. and this word catholic you know um pr protestants use it catholics use it but we don't mean the same thing by this right. word which is really obvious so yeah yeah good point yeah so there's a lot that's lost in translation uh yeah. especially roman catholic you know that like i yeah. said it it kind of Almost seems like an oxymoron. So how can you be universal and Roman at the same time? Yeah, exactly. Um, and I think I think about this a lot, and I've had to because you know maybe a good place to start, Gary, is to go back to when I first started have, having to grapple with this as a Catholic. Uh -huh. um, I I made an announcement after I had decided, along with my wife and son, 
to enter into full communion with the Catholic Church. And I, you know, I made a video about it, which is on YouTube, which is just really me talking to people who know us um, and saying, hey, we've decided to become Catholic. And I put this video out there and I put it up on social media back when I was on social media. And hey, everybody, we're becoming Catholic now. We're entering into full communion with the Catholic Church. And I had a friend, he was, he and I were actually blogging compadres together on a theological website. And he was the pastor of an evangelical reformed church um, in Montana, actually. And he said on the post, you mean Roman Catholic, don't you? You know, uh, we're, we're entering into full communion with the, the Catholic Church. You mean Roman Catholic, don't you? And I thought, oh, my gosh, you know, I, I understand why you're doing that. Uh, in fact, I might have done the same thing from outside of a Catholic way of thinking about that. And so there was that impulse, you know, to say, you mean Roman Catholic, don't you? And so I had to say to him, no, I don't mean Roman Catholic. Now, (laughs) the hard part is that I actually am part of a Roman Catholic parish, Uh, the, the, the parish that I go to, um, the, the pastor, the priest, celebrates the Eucharist in the ordinary form of the Roman rite. And so, you know, I am attending a, a parish that celebrates a Roman rite, you know, in, in the Eucharist. Mm-hmm. But I don't mean that the only people I'm in communion with are Roman Catholics. <laughs> and I also don't mean that I think people who aren't in communion with, for instance, the Bishop of Rome are Catholics. I, I, I actually don't believe that. So it, it can feel really convoluted, you know, to a non-Catholic um, to hear a Catholic say, no, I, I, I don't mean what you mean. Uh, I, I, I don't just see myself as a Roman Catholic. And I think the first place to start, you know, is to say that uh, characterizing or, or, you know, the nomenclature of, of the Catholic Church isn't properly Roman Catholic. In other words, that's not the way we talk about ourselves uh, as Catholics. We don't say, um, I'm Roman Catholic uh, to the exclusion of other Catholic churches. We're really talking about the the rite, R-I-T-E, <laughs> that we celebrate when we gather together uh, at Mass. So I had to say to my evangelical Reformed pastor blogging friend, no, I don't mean that, which is really, it was really confusing to him. So I said to him, I mean... Catholic in the way that St. Ignatius, St. Polycarp, Tertullian, St. Cyprian of Carthage, St. Augustine, the bishops, and this is all from a Facebook post, the bishops present 
at the Council of Nicaea, St. Cyril of Jerusalem, and many, many other early Christians meant by Catholic. And the reason that I mention all of those guys <coughs> at the beginning here, Gary, is I'm hoping that we'll have some time to read some of the things that those guys said about what they meant by the word Catholic when they used the term, because all of the names that I mentioned used the word Catholic. I'll just pause right there and ask you, you know, like maybe as, as an yeah. apologist, have you run into this where where people want to qualify uh, Roman Catholic, you know, well, like what's what's your experience with that? Yeah, for life actually, I actually the first time I encountered this was I was talking to a Byzantine right Catholic mm -hmm. priest mm -hmm. uh, doing some apologetics in his church. Right. And I, I mentioned uh, I, I forgot what it was, but I mentioned Roman Catholic and he's like. Oh, you know, you you probably don't want to say Roman. You just want to say Catholic. Right. Because, you know, to our ears, we know what you're saying, but you're you're basically like alienating yourself because you're you're using a different li you know they think liturgy which is like exactly so it's kind of like the opposite of you almost it was like yeah it's liturgy but i didn't get it until it's like oh yeah okay i can see where that could be misunderstood yeah and when exactly and when you're outside of the, the catholic church especially i would say when you're in a North American evangelical Protestant, you know, um, <laughs> I think of, you know, churches with names like West Side Christian Church, you know, just sort of these, um, the you know, named churches that have, you know, really sort of, I don't know what I want to call them, sort of commercial names. The, the whole way that you think of Catholic is Roman Catholic, like you think that's what Catholics mean by it, or that the Catholic Church means by it, you don't understand that when a when a Catholic is speaking properly about the meaning of Cat Roman, when they use the word Roman, they're referring to the rite that they celebrate on Sundays or you know at Mass. They're, they're, that that's a ritual term, not a denominational term, <laughs> right, if you will, right. and and it's used in a denominational sense, you know, with. Um, with evangelical uh, uh, Protestants. So I, you know, I've had to do some re-engineering in my brain. And, and I really didn't know that, you know, uh, Gary, even even very um, early in my journey, I didn't realize that Roman was a reference to the rite, R-I-T-E, the Eucharistic celebration. And that, and as we'll discuss, you know, in a while here, that there are multiple rites celebrated by Catholics that aren't Roman, and they're equally Catholic. They're all in communion with each other, and they all properly uh, call themselves Catholic. So it's one of those, you know, t terms uh, that I've had to struggle with. And, and so I've learned how to say, you know, in an apologetical way, since we're talking about hands-on apologetics, to give, uh, initially here, to give the our, our Catholic friends, a tool is when somebody says, well, you mean Roman Catholic, right? Um, that it's, that it's appropriate to say, well, that's the right that I celebrate, but no, I don't mean Roman Catholic in a denominational sense, if that's what you mean, which will probably get them to look at you like you have a third eyeball in the middle of your forehead. <laughs> um, but, but it is appropriate to say, no, I don't mean Roman Catholic if you're using that 
as a as a denominational attribution. But if you're using it as a ritual attribution in terms of what we celebrate in the Eucharist, then I can go there with you. Do you want to talk more? You know, they might go, well, I don't know what you are doing, you know, <laughs> um, right. because uh, because it, it really is used by evangelicals as a denominational connotation or attribution, which it just isn't used that way by Catholics at all. Um, and, that, and that's not what we mean. I think it's intrinsic, though, to, at least it was to me, as, as an evangelical Protestant, to think in terms of denominations. And um, even early when we were talking to all of our friends about becoming Catholic, one of my dearest friends here in Virginia Beach told me, well, I don't feel called by God to join the Catholic denomination. And I had to say, eh... We probably need to talk about that, which we can <laughs> when uh, we come back, hopefully. Yep, there you go. Yeah, we're chatting with Kenny Burchard, talking about what do you mean Roman Catholic? More to come up right after this. This is Jesse Romero. You're listening to Hands On Apologetics with Gary Machuda on Virgin Most Powerful Radio. And welcome back, everybody, to Hands-On Apologetics. We're chatting with a good friend, Kenny Burchard, talking about what do you mean by Roman Catholic. And, uh, Kenny, you were just sharing a friend, uh, and I think that's a very telling uh, anecdote where uh, he talks about the Roman Catholic denomination. Right. Yeah, and this was in, a, this was in you know, I don't know if you use the Messenger app, but I use the Messenger app to talk to a lot, a lot of my friends. And this is a guy I engage with regularly and was sharing my journey and he was really confused and concerned. And I was sharing, you know, some of my reasons for becoming Catholic. And he said, you know, in the course of our, of our dialogue, he said, Kenny, I, I see what you're saying. I just, I just don't see how I could ever be part of the Catholic denomination or the Roman Catholic denomination. And you're taught to think in that way as a, as a Protestant, you have to. It's intrinsic to the way that Protestants think uh, that you de- that you denominate or you name yourself along the lines of particular theological loyalties that you have, or loyalties to particular uh, doctrines or the- theological um, systems, or even people. You know who are the the authors of those <laughs> theological systems. So you denominate yourself. Uh, which, which, if you think about the word Catholic, is really contrary to Catholicity, to denominate yourself uh, in a particular way, is different from uh, Catholicity, which is a universal sort of wrapping your arms around the whole people of God under the Lordship of Jesus. But, but denominationalism is so intrinsic to the way that Protestantism works that it's projected out of itself onto other things that don't think that way, like like Catholicism. Catholicism doesn't yeah. think in terms of denominations. But, so my friend said, I just can't see myself joining the Catholic denomination. Well, that sounds like fingernails on a chalkboard to a, a well-informed Catholic who knows, not doesn't just believe, but knows that the Catholic Church isn't a denomination. So I, you know, I, I, I'm kind of, uh, I kind of poke on on people as part of my personality. 
But I say, I say, well, the Catholic Church isn't a denomination. It's just the church. <laughs> and then I yeah. just go quiet. I just go quiet, and it's like, what's going to happen next? You know, but so I say, well, the, the Catholic Church isn't isn't a denomination. It's just the church. It's just the Church of Jesus. And this will usually provoke people to say, well, I mean the Roman Catholic Church. Ah, well, now we have some more, you know, um, that that we need to talk about. What do we mean Roman Catholic? Well, we don't mean the denomination headed by the Pope. That's some offshoot of true Christianity. Um, what what Catholics mean, which is probably a good good place to start, what Catholics mean by the word Roman is the rite that they celebrate at the Mass. Period. <laughs> now, now, why Roman is that it's it's the Western Church. This is where Rome is in the West, and the Bishop of Rome is the pastor of the Universal Church, and he also uh, is in Rome. He's the Bishop of the Diocese of Rome, but there are other Catholic churches in the world, in other parts of the world, the east, the, uh, the east of, of Rome, the eastern part of the world. And in, in those churches, other rites are celebrated, eastern rites that are different from the Roman rite. And uh, the, again, uh, Gary, I didn't know this, you know, before I was Catholic. Um, no. I just thought they, they all did everything the same way. And when I thought of East and West, I thought, well, Orthodox and Roman Catholic. I didn't realize that there were Catholic churches celebrating the same rite as <laughs> the Eastern uh, churches in the, in, the Orthodox, um, in the Orthodox churches, the Byzantine and so many other rites. And I and I won't I would go through it all right now, but but there's a great article uh, actually put out uh, by Ascension Press that talks about all the different rites and all the different churches that celebrate those rites. And and the title of it, which was shocking to me, you know, my my previously Protestant ears is the other twenty three Catholic churches. <laughs> I was like, <laughs> what what? What do you mean the other 23 Catholic churches? I thought there was only one Catholic church, the Roman Catholic Church. Well, this great little helpful article says, no, there's there's one Catholic church, but there are 23 churches in 24 churches inside of that Catholic church. One of them celebrates the Roman rite in two forms, the extraordinary and the Extra, uh, and the uh, and the uh, ordinary and the extraordinary form uh, of the Roman rite, but there are, and according to this article, there are six other rites that are celebrated in these twenty-three other Catholic churches, and so a Catholic who's thinking right never means Roman Catholic by virtue of a denomination. He or she only means Roman Catholic by virtue of the rite that is celebrated in the liturgy. Now, there is another, uh, or a couple of other things that you can say about Rome, for sure. One <laughs> is that that's where the, the universal pastor of the church lives, you know, and that's where the, the church is headquartered in Rome. 
So we definitely mean, you know, that, that that's where HQ is, as it were, <laughs> headquarters is, as it were, and that that's where the universal pastor, the Pope, who is the successor of St. Peter, the first bishop of Rome. So all of those are ways in which we can say Rome or Roman, but it's not to the exclusion of all of these other Catholics in the world who don't celebrate the same rite uh, that we celebrate. I'll say one more thing and is let you jump in if you want to. Um, I, I kind of wanted to see this for myself, like what it, what it looked like in terms of liturgical celebration. And so near our house here, near our home here in Virginia Beach, we went to an Eastern Rite Catholic church. This is a church that's in communion with the Bishop of Rome, but doesn't celebrate the Roman Rite. They celebrate a Byzantine Rite. And I was blown away. How, well, first of all, how, how similar and how different our rites were in terms of structure and content. But one thing was clear to me when we were celebrating the Mass together. Just like in our rite, the Roman rite, we prayed for the Bishop of Rome and acknowledged him as the successor of St. Peter in the liturgy. And that's what we mean as Catholics. When we talk about being Catholic, we mean we're in communion together with one another, with the Bishop of Rome, with the successor of St. Peter, and all the bishops in communion with him all over the world, and that we are one church made of many churches who celebrate different rites, but who all have the same ancient ancestral heritage going back to the apostles. So I, I'll just pause right there and see if you want to either comment or clean any of that up. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So the fundamental distinction is uh, when you say Roman, you can mean uh, the Catholic Church that is centered in union with Rome, right. or you can mean uh, Roman in terms of the liturgical rite. Exactly. And in that sense, you know, you have all these different areas and stuff. Quick question, though, Kenny. Yeah. A uh, little off topic, though. What's the liturgy? Was that in English? Did they translate it into English, or was it Greek? So it was most—now, the, the priest in that church, who, by the way, was married, um, was a married priest, uh, was celebrated mostly in English with some Slavic um, uh, terminology in there. Um, but it was mostly in English. And the priest, by the way, of that, of that um, parish had a very thick, uh, I think he's Ukrainian, uh, uh, accent. And so it was, uh, <laughs> that was kind of fun. <laughs> but, but, you know, the, the whole time I'm thinking, Gary, wow, I'm in communion with this church. This church doesn't describe itself as Roman Catholic. And if you walk up to anyone who attends this parish and say, you mean Roman Catholic, right? They would say, no, I don't mean Roman Catholic. If you're talking about a denomination, we celebrate the Byzantine uh, right in our church. Now, now uh, 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 an evangelical is not going to know what to do with that because, again, they're wholly informed by a denominational sort of pretext for interpreting how churches talk about themselves. And that just isn't how, how Catholics do it. Um, <laughs> here's another il illustration, Gary, uh, that this just kind of goes back to how I had to undo this thinking uh, in my brain. 
we were going to an Anglican church, and in this Anglican church, it was before we became Catholic, they put the Nicene Creed up on the wall, you know, on a PowerPoint slide, and we recited it together. And when we got to the part of the creed that says, I believe in one holy Catholic and apostolic church, there was an asterisk next to the word Catholic. And then at the bottom of the slide, it said, Catholic just means universal, all Christians who believe in Jesus. And so we kind of, we would say, oh, they mean Catholic with a little c. Uh, the, the Roman Catholics, that's Catholic with a big c. We're Catholic with a little c. Uh, or, or maybe you could, you could flip it around depending on, you know, how you wanted to be with it. But inside of uh, churches that do use this word Catholic, they say, well, it just means everybody who believes in Jesus. The, there's a big problem with that, and that is early, the earliest references and the historical references that we have um, all throughout the literature in church history don't mean it in just that way. They mean a particular church that's material and formally formed in a specific way. So hopefully maybe I can read some of those quotes, you know, when we uh, when we get a chance to in the next thing. I don't know how much time we have left, but anything you wanted to say to all of that, man? No, this is a perfect place to pause. Uh, yeah, great. We'll listen to those quotes on the other side of the break. We're chatting with Kenny Bouchard at ComingHopeNetwork.org and uh, talking, what do you mean by Roman Catholic? More to come right after this. Now, back to Hands-On Apologetics with Gary Machuda. Here's Gary. And welcome back, everybody. We're chatting with Kenny Burchard of chnetwork.org. And, yeah, it's funny how, you know, so many different takes on the same words. And, I, in fact, Kenny, uh, during a break, I remember a long time ago, uh, I was looking through, I forgot which church it was, but I was surprised that they said the creed. I was just reading through it, and I noticed that Catholic is small c, and I think it even had an asterisk mm-hmm. where it just says this just means universal, not any particular denomination right. or something like that. So, yeah, I had the same experience uh, that yeah. you did. Yeah. No, I, and I think a lot of people who who decide that they want to you know, recite the ancient creeds in their liturgies or in their <coughs> church services— Somebody's going to come up with some kind of disclaimer to say, well, we, we, we don't mean the Roman Catholic Church. We just mean, you know, the universal church. So because that was such a knee jerk reaction, I, you know, I start I'm like many converts. I, I am like many converts in that I started reading early Christian literature as part of my journey, you know, into the Catholic Church. And the one that I want to start with today is so jarring, you know, it's, it's like, oh, man, um, th- this guy would take away any excuse I wanted to use to asterisk the word Catholic <laughs> in any way. And uh, this is a contemporary of, of St. Augustine, uh, St. Cyril of Jerusalem. This is around the time of the uh, Council of Nicaea. Right, this is t- that time in the world, um, and he has a, a literature, a series of catechetical lectures, and in chapter eighteen of his catechetical 
lectures, uh, Cyril gives us kind of like a street level thought experiment that we could do with people who want to just say, oh, Catholic just means whoever believes in Jesus, you know. So here's what he says in, um, I believe it's paragraph 26 of, of section 18. He says this, quote, and if you ever are visiting in cities, do not inquire simply where the house of the Lord is, for the others, sects of the impious, or the impious, attempt to call their dens houses of the Lord, nor ask merely where the church is. But where is the Catholic church? For this is the name peculiar to this holy church, the mother of us all, which is the spouse of our Lord Jesus Christ, the only begotten Son of God. Uh, you know, I read that, and like I say, it was jarring to me because because Saint Cyril does not want to use Catholic in the in this sort of um, nondescript nebulous sense in which well it's just everybody who believes in Jesus. He says no, there's a certain church that's the Catholic Church. So I thought, you know what, I'm going to take Saint Cyril up on this. And again, back when I was on social media, I did this thought experiment uh, on my my uh, Facebook page. I said. Hey, everyone, I'm collecting, you know, uh, information. Where's the nearest Catholic church? What's the name of the nearest Catholic church to your house? You know, just drop it in the comments below. Well, I started getting all of these, you know, St. Stephen the Martyr, St. John the Baptist, St. Matthew the Evangelist, St. Perpetua, St., you know, Vincent de Paul. Nobody gave me, you know, like... Uh, um, wayside church or, you know, something Baptist church, like nobody put the name of their own, even, even evangelicals, they didn't put the name of their congregation, oh. their, you know, uh, their fellowship in the comments. They put the name of a Catholic church, like something intuitive in them, even though they, they had this perspective, knew that it's kind of like what St. Cyril said, it's a certain church that's the <laughs> Catholic church. And wow. so I kind of have fun with people. I do that. I do that with them. But but it's it's um, part and parcel of what all of the earliest Christians meant when they said Catholic. So the earliest of them, as you know, is um, <clears throat> is Saint uh, Ignatius of Antioch, who first uses this word in his letter to the Smyrnians, where he talks about the Catholic Church, and he means a certain church that has apostolic succession. He says as much in the letter. He says, um, wherever the bishop appears, let the people be there. Okay, now this is, by saying bishop, he's referring to an ex a successor with valid apostolic authority. Let the people be there, just as wherever Jesus Christ is, there is the Catholic Church. In other words, he links, he inseparably links this idea of Catholicity with historic apostolic succession, which is one of the four attributes of the Church in the Nicene Creed, one holy Catholic and apostolic Church. So you start to get that this is the ecclesiology of the earliest Christians. They thought the Catholic Church was a certain Church with certain markers and certain attributes 
being led by certain people. <laughs> and <clears throat> so just pause there if you want to jump in on anything I've, I've said so far. Yeah, um, no, no, you're doing great. Keep going. All right, cool. So, you know, and, and, and this, is, this is important because, like I said, in evangelicalism, they, they think, and we thought, well, it just means universal, everyone who believes in Jesus. And this really comes, you know, in my own sort of traipsing through church history, this comes really from Calvin, who had a real problem with the visible Catholic Church, you know, the, the institutional Catholic Church where the, the Pope was the successor of St. Peter. So he really extrapolated this idea of an invisible church, an invisible church that's made of all true believers in Jesus. Um, and, you know, you could be part of the invisible church um, and not be part of this visible Catholic church. This terminology of invisible church really comes out of, of Protestantism. <clears throat> it's not a Catholic perspective. As Catholics, we believe in a visible church. That's the mystical body of Christ. The mystical body of Christ is made up of all believers around the world in the Catholic Church and all Christians in heaven and earth. So this is, we don't mean invisible when we say mystical. But if I had said mystical as a, a Protestant, I might have been sort of using that word to mean invisible, mm -hmm. not how, how Catholics think of it. Um, I like uh, St. Augustine, who said, uh, and this is in his uh, uh, The True Religion, he said, we must hold to the Christian religion and to communication in her church, which is Catholic and which is called Catholic, not only by her own members, but even by her enemies, <laughs> which now as a Catholic, I'm like, yep, <laughs> boy, have I heard that. For, and as he goes on to say, for when heretics or the adherents of schisms talk about her, not among themselves, but with strangers, willy-nilly, they call her nothing else but Catholic, for they will not be understood unless they distinguish her by this name, which the whole world employs in her regard, close quote. Yeah, you know, I, th I think about like I just watched a recent episode of your program, uh, Gary, on the uh, apocryphal apocalypse, where you're talking about um, was the canon just understood, you know? And, and you had a guy on the on the front end of that where he's talking about uh, the canon just it, it, it wasn't something that emerged out of the councils. And when he refers to the the Catholic Church, he does it in just the way. Augustine says, you know, he, do, he yeah. doesn't do it as a friend. He, he refers to it as the Catholic Church, and he doesn't mean it in a good way. So it's like an example. It's, it's an example of what Augustine is saying. Um, but he, uh, he goes on. Augustine has a lot to say about the Catholic Church. In fact, he says, I wouldn't even know what the Gospels were were it not for the authority of the Catholic Church. Well, mm -hmm. you can't just mean all Christians everywhere in the world who believe in Jesus, because they haven't always all agreed on all of these things. You have to mean a particular church. Uh, I'll maybe share one more quote with you, and this really has to do with, you know, biblical authority. And this is from the, catech the catechetical uh, lectures of uh, St. Vincent of Lorenz or Larens. Um, he says, uh, in one of his lectures, he says, 
But someone perhaps will ask, since the canon of Scripture is complete and sufficient of itself for everything, and more than sufficient, what need is there to join with the authority of the Church's interpretation? For this reason, he says, because owing to the depth of Holy Scripture, all do not accept it in one and the same sense, but one understands its words in one way, another in another, so that it seems to be capable of as many interpretations as there are men. Therefore, it is very necessary, on account of so great intricacies of such various errors, that the rule for the right understanding of the prophets and apostles should be framed in accordance with the standard of ecclesiastical and Catholic interpretation. Well, I can tell you, as a former Protestant evangelical, that we did not share one interpretation. We didn't have a common interpretation of Scripture. So just on the rule of logic itself, this cannot be referring to everybody who says they're a Christian. It has to be referring to a particular church. And, uh, and, and there's so many more like this all through church history. Uh, so I would, I would say, you know, like now if someone says, don't you mean Roman Catholic? I would say, I mean Roman Catholic in the sense that I go to a parish that celebrates the Roman rite, but, and that I'm in communion with the Bishop of Rome and that the, the Holy See is located, you know, in Vatican City uh, in Rome. In that sense, I mean Roman Catholic. But if you are talking about the Catholic Church as a denomination, then no, I don't mean it that way, because the Catholic Church isn't a denomination. You know, here's my little poker at the end. It's just the Church. It's just yeah. the Church that Jesus founded. So a very different approach, and maybe more of a kind of a conversation driver in this discussion of, don't you mean Roman Catholic. Yeah, yeah, very good. Yeah, beautiful. And uh, I, I think that's great how you explored uh, how Catholic is often used to dismiss the visible identifiable church. And that's a very important distinction to remember. So, Kenny, I hear the music coming up. Thank yep. you so much for coming on the program. As always, I learned a lot from you, my friend. Well, I hope it's helpful. All right. Well, uh, Thank you. And uh, that's Kenny Burchard. Uh, check out his great work and the other fellows at the Coming Home Network, chnetwork.org. And, man, the hour's flown. Coming up next, High Impact Catholic Talk, coming at you with the Terry and Jesse Show. Thank you so much for listening. And God willing, we'll be back again tomorrow with this thing we call Hands on Apologetics. Bye-bye, everyone.